0: Welcome to Avatar with Academics. My name is Sam Mulberry, and I have never watched Avatar The Last Airbender.
1: And I'm Annie Berglund, and I have watched it before.
0: Annie, we have made it to Book 3 Fire, Chapter 17, The Ember Island Players. Now, this is an episode that you have said is, is it your favorite or one of your favorites? (laughs)
1: It's up there. I watched it again last night with Mike, and he was saying that one line in particular, or one scene, is his favorite Avatar scene of all time in this episode. So, yes, it's beloved. It's uh, referenced a lot. And I just I love all the meta jokes in it.
0: Yeah, sure. yeah. So this is going to be a special episode because I would say this is a special episode of Avatar: The Last Airbender. They they uh, are doing something really interesting here, but this is a special episode for another reason as well. We have um, a big Avatar fan who's going to sit in on the whole show with us. Now she's somebody that we've talked about before. Um, she's, I think, she's probably heard more hours of avatar with academics than anyone because i think she's heard everything at least <laughs> twice or she's 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 wrapping up her second listen through um and that is our guest today uh esme mulberry
1: hi <laughs> today we have three generations
0: we do people. we wow. have
1: three like we have wait are you you're gen x right Sam? i'm gen x yeah i'm millennial and esme you're gen z think so right
0: yeah wow so we have
1: all of this all of these different perspectives also Esme how old are you I'm 14 14 okay like not that different from when I first watched the series originally when it came out so it's also very fun to be I I just yeah I'm very excited for all (laughs) three of us to be here um Esme you're a really big fan of the of of the show Avatar right (laughs) um I, when I was writing my notes, I was very conscious of the fact that you would see them (laughs) Uh (laughs) because I was like, I feel like I make a lot of mistakes. I think if you listen back to some episodes, I will reference things wrong. And like, uh, I, I'm really bad at recall. And I was like, Esme is going to be here and she (laughs) knows this show so well. So I need to get everything right. Did you see any mistakes in my notes?
2: Okay. (laughs) To be fair, I have not read through it fully yet, Good. but um, (laughs) a couple months ago, uh, I was reading notes from another episode that my dad had in his office, and I did notice typos that I believe they were written by you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, see, I knew it would happen. Well, if we're criticizing people for typos, and someday we should just publicly publish the roughly 300 pages of notes that we have for this series. They're just just—they're all about typos. Because like, I don't pay a lot of attention as I'm writing it. It's like, I just need to get the words down on the page fast. So they're pretty rough. Yeah.
2: The little reading I did, I found one typo, and it was just a name was spelled wrong.
1: Oh, but... uh. Yes, I noticed that halfway through and just didn't change things. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, well, good. I'm glad that you're here to, um, you know, edit us as we go. <laughs> Make sure that, that we're representing the show correctly. Um, Esme, what? So, so your dad started watching this show kind of like one episode per week. Are, is your family a family that's mostly like binge watchers or do you like to watch things slowly?
2: Um, it kind of depends on the thing. If it's something where we all like really like it, then we normally binge watch it. But sometimes it can take a long time. But the first two seasons of Avatar we watched in like two weeks,
1: so (laughs) to catch up pretty fast at the beginning. Is it something that? uh, Man, it's. It must be difficult to watch it. Cause you're essentially watching it as if it came out live, right? Like you're you have to wait every week, just like yeah. um, when it came out originally in two thousand six, seven, eight, right?
2: Yeah. Um sometimes it's like every two weeks we watch like two episodes. <laughs> so sometimes it feels like it takes a really long time, but mm. it also I feel like the first two seasons, I didn't really think about the episodes as much. But, like, when you watch two episodes and then have, like, a week and a half to, like, two weeks to think about it, you notice a lot more things and you really get to think about it. Um, so, I think it really changes the way that I watched it mm. for the third season. So,
1: Is there any episode... Or season even. I'm curious which season you like the best of the three so far. I know we're not done with season three. But um, which season you like best? And are there any episodes that stand out as kind of the best episodes?
2: Um, My favorite season is probably season three. Just because I feel like with the exception of Nightmares and Daydreams, I like every <laughs> single episode. Um, but the back half of the second season is really good too. Um, the my favorite episodes. I feel like there's so many of them now because I, I like, pretty much all the episodes. Um, I really like the Puppet Master. I really like Sokka's Master. I really like Zuko Alone. Um, um, I really like the Storm and the Blue Spirit. I think those are both really good episodes. And I also think those were the two that that's when I like got really into the show because it was like, you get backstory and the characters become more c- complex and, like, you learn more about them. Mm. So, yeah. And
0: you're a fan of flashbacks. Like, like whenever there's an episode flashbacks. with flashbacks, like, that lights you yeah. up, Yeah.
1: Right? I get really excited.
2: <laughs> well, this show has so
0: much.
1: Yeah, and Avatar has it, like, almost in every episode there is some kind of flashback, right? Like, it happens all the time.
2: <laughs> yeah. There are a lot of flashbacks, but I do really like ones where it's like basically the whole episode is a flashback because then you just get a bunch but like Mm. with zuko alone i feel like i really liked it when i first watched it and i still really like it but i feel like i like other episodes more just because in that one i like the flashback um part so much and then i forget that there's the second plot but then when i like kind of watch the episode in my mind it's like i get bored at those parts because i just want the flashback part yeah so i still really like it but i feel like it's not my favorite anymore now that i've watched some other episodes that i like more
1: i totally see that i wish that we could have more and more of the past i just feel like what they give us is great and what they give us is probably more than like other series would do especially other like kid shows would do and yet i'm like i just want to sit there and like have a conversation with zuko's mom or like figure yeah. out more of the family dynamics
2: yeah yeah. So it's like you do see so much for a show but it's also like it's not enough
1: <laughs> right <laughs> it's at have least you- something <laughs> yes and i know that you two have not you've been pretty good about not seeing spoilers right yeah We've avoided those i after this series is over, we only have three or four episodes left right four episodes after this um are you planning to just like deep dive into everything avatar online there's books there's comics there's like the b- legend of Korra.
2: um I think. I won't, like, go online until after I've watched Legends of Korra, because I don't want that to be spoiled. But I definitely want to read the comics. Um, Mm. I haven't even necessarily heard, like, really good things about them. I haven't heard bad things, but it's, like, even just the prospect that there is that makes me really excited. Even if they're not that good, I just want to read them.
1: Yeah, agreed. And it's, like, we know the worst of the worst is The Last Airbender movie and yeah if we've if we you've watched that is that yeah i have okay so if we've all endured that it's like there can be nothing worse so anything in between will be like nice right like it'll be it'll fill out the world it'll like scratch the itch that we want
2: yeah um because i feel like with the last airbender movie it's people talk a lot how it's really bad. So I feel like there can't be anything else that's that bad because no one talks about it being really bad. Mm. So I feel like that's as bad as it is, which is <laughs> maybe a good thing. Yes. I mean, it won't get worse, but the bar set low.
1: Yes. So. <laughs> um, I also love that this episode makes some of those meta jokes. Like it, I think it's fun at the top of this episode to talk about like audience reaction because that's so much of what this episode is. Is like, mm, as we get into it, there'll be jokes about the Great Divide. There'll be there's even a uh, moment in the DVD commentary when the writers kind of allude to the fact that there are jabs at the last Airbender movie that was like in production at this time. Um, just with like a, was it worth it to make something like this? Right. Like, um, because this episode is a a play done to represent all of the Aang gang's like adventures in one go, it's just like, you can't do that justice. Um, so there's like some jokes at the expense of the last airbender, but also at the writers themselves. And it's like, it's such a gamble, I think, to throw this in there right before a four-part like series finale but do you both of you do both of you think it it played off well is this like is this a good episode to you
0: i gotta say i think it's a great episode i think it's a really um it's weird to call an episode brave i think it's a pretty (laughs) brave episode though because they're on the doorstep they're about to make this turn towards the finale and they stop and they do something the show hasn't really done before, which is to say, we're gonna make this, as you said, a very meta episode. But it's the best example of how to do a meta episode in a way that does not break the show at all. Th- this episode doesn't break the fourth wall. It doesn't um, it doesn't make the characters aware that they're in a show. but instead, it's it's completely believable within the world of Avatar that their story would be being told because, because mm. Aang is uh, this world historical, the re- this reincarnation of a world historical character. And he is currently a world historical character. There's probably, probably the two most famous important people alive in the avatar world are Ozai and Aang. So mm-hmm. the fact that there would be a play featuring them is completely believable. Um, but then it gives you this opportunity to think about uh, this as a way to reflect on the show. I also think it is, you know, as historians, Annie, you and I are both historians. um, This is an episode about how history gets written, Uh, how, how legends and mythology become solidified as history. um, uh, What kind of sources get used to create history and how, when it it also makes you question history, it makes you uh, question like, well, is the history that we read, not that it's not true, but what are the things that get lost? I think it's fascinating to think about this episode and also think about if this is the beginning of the historical record, or at least a historical record of the life of Aang, uh-huh. what are the voices that are silenced here? What are the voices that we don't hear in this story? Because it does recap the whole show, but it, but it recaps... it recaps it and necessarily needs to make edits so Mm. if we're thinking if we fast forward 500 years after this this show becomes part of the historical record for all we know this is the historical record right this Uh, is the this is to the Trojan War this is to Avatar what like the Iliad and the Odyssey are to the Trojan War this is the things that we remember about this and it becomes mythologized in these different ways I think that's fascinating to think about
1: absolutely the the course that you and i teach uh, christianity and western culture at bethel the first it's it's the history of christianity in western culture but the first thing that we have students read is a uh, beyond a letter from birmingham jail is a play right like it's a it's a greek tragedy mm-hmm. and it and i love teaching that because it's it it's an exercise in we're not really talking about the play we're not really talking about the characters we're talking about how the audience is reacting and how uh and so like what the values are in the audience members more than than what's going on on stage and of course like this this is there's meta jokes we're talking about propaganda in this episode like um history and memory but also history and memory in an imperial state in a in a um really militaristic state but also like there are many scenes where we're seeing how the audience is responding. And uh, it's, it's interesting to, to listen to their laughter at certain points and also like see the parts where um, they're upset or they're angry and to, and to be like, Oh, sometimes this mirrors us and other times the fire nation audience is obviously going to be <laughs> cheerful for, for different victories or um Or failures of our heroes um so that's really fun too
0: i think one of the now again i haven't seen legends of korra but i know that it exists in the future yeah if this the people who make these shows are gutsy enough they will do and, and we know avatar studios there's more things coming out right they will do something that happens in the future where characters at some in some future timeline Go to a revival of the Boy in the Iceberg. That would be cool, and and we could even see how is it different than the one we saw here. That was this piece of propaganda created in the moment. Or I have a scholar, you know, like somebody from Boston State University, studying the text of the Boy in the oh. Iceberg, the way that we read Antigone in CWC. That would be really interesting. And I and I believe this is the kind of show that uh, that might do something like that.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: I also think it's interesting, too, with, like, the play that it's both, like, a lot of Fire Nation propaganda, but it's also, like, oddly pro-Avatar, because it's, (laughs) like, they make Azula and Ozai look so creepy, but, like, it's also, like, again, like, Fire Nation propaganda, so it's weird that it's, like, they make them very clearly the villains But then they're also in the way like the heroes because they're who you kind of want to win, but also who Mm. you don't want to win.
0: Well, that's fascinating because you watch this play. It is not through the eyes of Azula or Ozai. Mm -hmm. Ozai and Azula are in it, but they're in it only to the extent that they're in um, the show we've been watching, which is an Aang-centric show. So it's weird that this propaganda play features it features the Aang gang and that they are essentially our heroes in the story that's a really interesting insight i hadn't thought about that but like you would think if this was a piece of propaganda that it would be more about um, how ozai is hunting them down or something like that like it's it, it means that there's a degree to which other than the ending of the play it's almost a little more neutral than you might expect
1: mm-hmm. right yeah the um, i'm reading through a little bit of the notes because the the acclaimed playwright puan tim uh they said that he scoured the globe for information he like interviewed the singing nomads and the pirates and like so he was interviewing people allegedly like as far back as season two so it's interesting to be like i wonder what his background is i wonder if he's I mean, we don't even know if he's Fire Nation, right? Like, we assume he is, but we don't know. Like, he could be Earth Kingdom, right?
0: That's true. He's definitely hmm. talking to Earth Kingdom people. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Or, like, he could be Earth Kingdom, but then the Fire Nation got the plagues they realized he was this, like, famous playwright and then just changed the ending. And we're like, we're going to then insert the propaganda and then turn it into something else. Sure.
1: Absolutely, because well, that yeah. that would make sense for the tone change. I mean, we'll get there uh, as we go through the episode, but it's like y- you're right. This is an aang centric production until the last scene where it's like even even our Aang gang does not expect the ending that's written. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, should we should we jump into the summary? Because it's like you can tell we're like chomping at the bit to get into this. The oh, my, one thing, so, yeah. the one other thing we should say before we get started is that. Um, this, this episode has, I think, three credited writers, uh-huh. um, and one of them is John O'Brien. And I don't know if this is the last John O'Brien episode. I think it is. I don't think he's on any of the finale or, I mean, he's in the writer's room, but I don't think he's, has a written by. Um, mm-hmm. so, uh, and I will say this is, this is up there as the funniest episode among the funniest episodes. Um, so, you know, Well done to somebody who's sort of a hero of this podcast. Uh, This is a a great way to go out for John O'Brien in the Avatar cycle.
1: Absolutely. Also, um, know that there are 21 past episodes that are referenced in this episode, not only just in the production, but as they're talking about the playwright and where he traveled you know they mentioned like the the nomads and that's one episode but um there's a lot of references and we'll try to catch most of them but um that's what you guys are here for in case i didn't get that in my notes okay sounds good okay all right should we get started let's do it yeah okay so we open up on ang and zuko and they're practicing firebending in this open courtyard and they're doing the same kind of firebending moves in unison. Uh, and it looks really cool. They um Aang himself looks a lot older, I noticed, even in this episode versus like the last one. For some reason, I think his face looks thinner, he just looks more mature. And
0: um That's really talk- interesting you say that. Yeah. I wanna I just wanna tuck that away because I think they're um I think that's an important piece that visually he looks more mature for some things that are going to happen later in this episode. So I just (laughs) want to highlight that point that you made.
1: Absolutely. Um, So Katara and Toph are lounging in this kind of open corridor outside of the courtyard uh, behind them. And Katara says, doesn't it seem weird that we're hiding from the Fire Lord in his own house? And we notice that all the kids are then dressed in Fire Nation outfits. So they're back in those clothes, trying to maybe appear uh, a little less like nomads, right? Uh, Like um, migrants. And so Zuko says, I told you, my father hasn't come here since our family was actually happy. And that was a long time ago. It's the last place anyone would think to look for us.
0: This made me wonder, when I saw this episode, it made me think to the end of Southern Raiders when Katara is sitting at the end of that dock. Were they on Ember Island at the end of Southern Raiders and just didn't say it? Because it sure seemed like they were.
2: Yeah, that would yeah, make that sense. Makes sense. At the end of that one, when she was seen on the dock, I was very confused of where they were because it's like it seems like someone's property if there's a dock there, but there's not like a house right there. So it's very confused in what that was.
0: Right, and previously they at the at the middle point of that episode, they had been up on kind of like a mountain plateau island thing. So I'm so I'm wondering if. Uh, there was a longer script of that episode where they got to Ember Island at the end of that episode and they had to cut it down. So they're yeah. just there, but don't say it. Because then they because they also don't talk about like going to Ember Island. They're just there. So that was something I was wondering about. Um, another thing that I'm just going to bring up now because I think it needs to be addressed, which is we are on the eve, at least episode-wise, of the finale. Mm-hmm. Oh. They seem... Utterly unconcerned about the cave crew.
1: Yeah, you really do. <laughs> yes. Where are they? Where's their
0: dad? Like, right? They're how- not even. He does not come up in this episode. They don't mention him. That was the most important thing to them for for three seasons. You know, almost three seasons. They got him back. They had to split up with him, and now they're just like, yeah, we're going to vacation before the final attack.
2: It also seems like every time they're with Hakoda, they're like really happy that he's back and then every time they he leaves it's like this really sad moment and then they seem not really to care until the episode that they get him back again like <laughs> I feel like when he and Bato go off on the ship to like find allies they don't really care once he leaves
0: yeah yeah I, I, I think I think that's a, a, a writer's thing like they love the idea of like the separation from the father and the reuniting of the family I think the writers don't love Hakoda though. It's like every <laughs> yeah. time he's in it, it's like we have to find a way to separate these kids from Hakoda. And and maybe it's just it it's less fun when there's parents around.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And yes. And Hakoda's great, but he's not as inspiring, right? <laughs> and so
0: it's or like- he's fun. He's not as fun. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You have a fun dad. <laughs> like, you know, imagine if you didn't have a fun dad, right? <laughs>
1: Yeah, that wouldn't be that fun to have him around. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I guess the writers can always just like be like, Oh yeah, it's trauma. Right.
0: Like, right. Well,
1: it's like oh man, they're just used to not having him around. So like they're okay.
0: <laughs> well, it's almost like and it's almost like like having Hakoda there means they can't paint in as many colors with the story. Uh,
1: because it's yeah. like,
0: well now mm-hmm. this part's there, so that's not this pain or stress or tension. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So we're left wondering where the cave crew is, <laughs> except for not really. We're, uh, we don't really care. I don't care I either, but it, but it
0: is interesting.
1: <laughs> so, um, Sokka and Suki run in and Sokka is waving a poster in his hand. And he says, there's a play about us and the artwork on the poster is, is based on the season one dvd of uh, avatar the last airbender so you have like zuko's face that's large and looming kind of above the original Aang gang the trio uh, but the poster gets some crucial elements wrong for instance like zuko's scar is on the wrong side of his face <laughs> for one um and that's something that'll continue to come back in this um in the production too uh The way that the characters look are a little slightly off. Um, uh, They're not really representing the original gang very well. So it's like, it's, it's already a meta joke, right? Like it's already like, this is our season one DVD, except for a little different.
0: You know what it makes me think of? Um, There is a whole industry, a whole home video industry of people who take um, popular movies and then they do like especially this is especially true in 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 children's per, uh children's films uh i can't think of the name of the company there's it's a south american company that does like digital animation and whenever uh, like a new pixar uh trailer comes out they will rush into production something that seems like it's close to it like so when, like when ratatouille came out they made this like they tried to guess what the movie was about and they made a movie that's like what we think ratatouille is so we can try to be in the market at the same time, and it, and they have a whole series of like films that are like, ri- like uh, contemporary ripoffs of Pixar movies. This feels a little bit like that. It's like we need to, this is out there, so it's like this like warped version of the story.
1: I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, so there, so uh, Saka so- uh, saying, or he's reading the description of this play, and it's called The Boy in the Iceberg. Uh, which is also a play on the first season, or the first episode of the first season, right? And uh, it says, The Boy in the Iceberg is a new production from acclaimed playwright Puan Tim, who scoured the globe gathering information on the Avatar from the icy south pole to the heart of Ba Sing Se. His sources include singing nomads, pirates, prisoners of war, and a surprisingly knowledgeable merchant of cabbage.
0: That's a great, that's a great, uh, like, like, m- a great way to put the cabbage merchant in who we haven't seen in a long time, but to like sneak, sneak him into this. I think it's also interesting because we've talked about how um, throughout this journey, they've been building allies, right? Another thing they've been doing is they've been leaving behind sources, uh-huh. right? So this is actually this. I mean, if we want to get heady here, this reminds me a little bit of thinking about Thucydides. Thucydides is one of the, the first uh, Greek historians, and he talks about how like Thucydides was both on hand for certain things in the history of Athens, but like he's one of the first historians to consciously go out and interview people and to collect sources to try to write a history of the Peloponnesian War. And this this that this playwright feels a little bit like that. Like he's within the marketing material for this, it mentions the primary sources that he goes to, uh, which I think is pretty cool. Mm.
2: Um, I also like when it has like the some of his sources on the poster because this episode is like the closest Avatar gets to a clip show. And this is just like we're going to mention all the stuff that we didn't have time to show because there was a lot of that's like, oh, yeah, that happened. Like even in just that sentence, I forgot about some of those people. And it was just it was a good reminder for like kind of the whole show.
0: I want to uh, something you said is really smart there, which is like I i'm not a fan of clip shows this is a very 80s thing mm-hmm. um to do a clip show you know where you have an episode that just recycles material um and it used to in the days before streaming it was a way to like get people caught up on things that were happening in the show so this is also because we've talked about how they do sort of 80s things here this is mm-hmm. like a, a meta clip show that's really interesting yeah
2: we also kind of need the clip show because i think it is a weird place to put it like right before the finale, but I also think it's important to do that. Cause it is reminding you of all the characters, all the people, like all this stuff. So before the finale, in case any of them show up, you then remember who they are.
0: So it's a whole episode of previously on. Yeah. But, but, but in a done, fun way. But, but done in like a fun and really smart way. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like that.
1: So Suki continues to read and she says, brought to you by the critically acclaimed Ember Island players the title of the episode and Zuko groans at this and he says, Oh, my mom forced me to see them and they butchered love amongst the dragons every year. Apparently in a previous episode earlier in the season, in the background, there's a poster in the fire nation for love amongst the dragons. So it's still in production. It's still going on.
0: Um, and this is, this is a, I think a play on, uh, Love among the ruins, which is a 1855 Robert Browning poem, and then a 1953 Evelyn Waugh novel. So I w- so I went and read about those to be like, oh, is there something? I don't know why they made that. Re- Maybe they just like the sound of that title, but um, <laughs> but I'm assuming this is some sort of uh, oblique reference to those things.
1: Mm, it's a great title. It is. It's a great title.
0: <laughs> I would watch Love Amongst the Dragons. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Me too. <laughs> sounds
2: exciting. They're dragons. So Right? Why not? Like
1: I wanna see it.
0: It also uh, it also it also points to Fire Nation popular culture that is potentially not militaristic. Mm-hmm. But it's just like this is just like a I wanna believe this is just a period piece love story, like a Jane Austen adaptation or something. <laughs> For the Fire is,
1: Nation. Yeah, which is why his mom loves
2: it. Yeah. I also think it's kind of funny that, for one thing, Zuko's mother made him go to plays but also the same one every year of this is the one we're going to watch with the same people
0: and he seems disappointed not that he had to go that but that they didn't do a good job of it yeah he likes love amongst the dragons it's just they butchered it
2: yeah it's like there's a way he wants it to be done and they don't get
1: it every year
0: that's i (laughs) love that
1: it's one of those things where it's it's so relatable because i think we all kind of have that i mean at least with my family um there's one movie we watch all the time and when someone brings it up in a natural conversation which is rare I'll be like oh yeah my mom and dad made me watch Nacho Libre every year for far too long and then it's like oh there's a moment of silence where everyone's like ah you revealed too much about yourself and your family (laughs) and I think this is Zuko's social anxiety coming through where it's like he he doesn't give a lot about his background but when he does it's like oh that was maybe something you didn't need to share right (laughs) um so which i i just did so awesome nacho libre uh katara wonders you know like if we go to this play might it be dangerous for us right (laughs) like we are literally in the play but sokka pleads and says this is this this is the kind of wacky, time-wasting nonsense I've been missing.
0: So, so bring on the first like meta joke of the show, which is because there's there's a lot, especially in season one, where you sort of feel like, why, wh- what's happening? Why are they <laughs> taking so long to do things? So, I uh, I love it. Yes.
1: So it's nighttime at the theater. The gang has decided to go. Uh, And we see them entering a large packed auditorium and they find balcony seating in the back. This is a really ornate theater. Like this is this is high quality. This isn't just like a gym with a community theater production like this. There's money going into this.
0: Well, if you think Uh, about it, Ember Island is I'm assuming is like going to the Hamptons or something. So, yeah, you're going to expect high quality or high, uh, high class, high production value. Mm.
2: But to get into those seats do you think they had to pay more and they're willing to do it so they weren't sitting by other people and maybe getting caught
0: i think they don't i think they have not good seats though i think they're kind of in the back
2: well yeah but then but they're like kind of like
0: it's a private box yeah
2: it's a private box
0: yeah maybe zuko like uh, maybe on ember island zuko has some means that he can maybe there's like money in the house he can use that You know, probably
1: yeah yeah, we haven't had like a check-in on their financials lately, which is like a thing that they do in this right. show. They'll be like, yeah, we're low on cash. <laughs> and well, we haven't had that in a while.
2: I think it's possible that when Zuko left the Fire Nation, he brought a bunch of money because it's like, we'll mm. probably need stuff. Because in the second season, when he and Iroh are like refugees, they also need to like beg for money on the street. So he probably knows, we. I should probably bring some money because we might not have like good resources or something in our area. So
1: Yeah, for sure. Also maybe uh Hakoda has some cash. Maybe he's like Mr. Moneybags and every time he comes in he's like sprinkling.
0: <laughs> no. I, I I doubt Hakoda's like making it rain when he walks in a room.
2: <laughs> this one just I mean, came from a prison. So <laughs> I don't know if he got I don't know if he has money from that. Maybe <laughs> that's, but...
1: that's true. They probably didn't let him keep his his fortune <laughs> that he doesn't have <laughs> so the the kids do find a spot it's it's in a private box but it's in the back and so they slide into their pew uh and the order goes Toph, and then katara and then Aang is about to sit next to katara when zuko abruptly awkwardly sits between them kind of unknowingly and ang is visibly upset he's kind of like oh i was i was gonna sit there And Zuko's like, why are you being weird? Just sit next to me, right? Like he does not <laughs> read the room well. Uh, and then behind them uh, in the next seat is Sokka and Suki. And Toph can-
2: com- oh. um, I also I f- find that shot really weird because it's like Toph, Katara and Aang all come in from one side and Zugu comes in from the other, which like, it's plausible that there's two doors to that, but that seems weird. And you don't see him go in the row behind them and then come around and then it's also like if if there were two doors why is he the only one to go through that one and they also would never have used that one to go in or out again so i just found that weird that he comes from the other side
1: <laughs> and why is he so awkward about needing to sit there too i don't know Like they both it's just it's yeah Social uncomfortable. It's so uncomfortable
2: because Aang's like sliding down the bench when he sits down, and it's like, why are you trying to sit there?
1: Just I could I could see Zuko being like, I need to
0: be in the center.
1: <laughs> this is where this is this is my spot. When I was watching Love Amongst the Dragons, <laughs> and I would like to sit here again.
0: Well, it, it's interesting because maybe there, and we're projecting a lot right now. <laughs> um, but you know, like I'm somebody who feels way more comfortable if I'm sitting on the aisle yeah and maybe zuko's like the opposite of that it's like i just don't want to sit on the aisle i want to be i I feel more comfortable if i'm between people
2: but to Mm. me he seems like a kind of person who would want to sit on the aisle because i feel like if he would need to get up during it he wouldn't want to have to ask people to like move
0: but maybe he's afraid to be recognized because he's the only person who is visibly recognizable so it's like I don't want to I don't want to be in the aisle cuz I'd be more maybe more likely to maybe be seen. they're also in a private box so
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so they slide into the pew and Toph complains that her feet can't see a thing from the nosebleed section and so Katara offers to kind of quietly narrate for her what's happening on stage. So the curtain's rise and we have the first scene of many scenes and this is one that we get a little bit longer so Um, We have stage Katara and stage Sokka who are rowing a boat through waves and icebergs on the stage and audience Sokka and Katara are thrilled until the actors start to speak. So actor Katara uh, does a lot of sighing and a lot of sobbing. And so she sighs before her first line and says, Sokka, My only brother, we constantly roam these icy South Pole seas and yet never do we find anything fulfilling. And then Sokka says, all I want is a full feeling in my stomach. I'm starving. Can you guys please jump in and just give some physical descriptions (laughs) of stage Sokka and Katara?
0: Well, I think the guy who plays Sokka is like, it's like pretty good casting, actually. Yeah, like He kind of looks like Sokka. He kind of looks like a I don't know. Whenever I like a melted version of Sokka, it's like, uh-huh. his, you know, uh, he seems like he'd be good on stage. Cause he's got like a bigger head than Sokka. So it's like <laughs> shape different. He's just got a large head, large teeth. Um, but he, what's, what's interesting to me is clearly what like the stage direction was. Like he was, the, the guy playing Sokka was told like, ham it up, play to the audience, mm-hmm. you know? And, and, and I think the, the woman playing Katara was just told, like, it can't be emotional enough. Every line <laughs> has to be just, like, overflowing with emotions.
2: And, like, I feel like with Sokka's... The act Sokka actor person, his costume is, like, pretty good. Because I feel like, just like the last Airbender movie, the costume means pretty decent. Yeah, yeah. We're like, mm-hmm. yeah. But just like in the movie, Sokka's hair bothers me because it's not right. It's close to right, so they could have done it, but it's not right. And then Katara's outfit is kind of close, but it's like the neckline is really low cut. And in Katara's outfit, like she has a skirt with like cuts down the side. And the actual Katara wears pants underneath, but the actress doesn't. So it's like they made... Also, the actors are like adults, which makes it all seem a lot more ridiculous. So they like try to make the characters way more extreme, and then yeah, they, it's like yeah. it's like
0: like sexy Katara, like yeah, like specifically like like you can you can just tell yeah, I think that like in the way she's costumed, yeah, um, even even that is I think extreme is the right words. It's mm-hmm. like we're gonna go a little more over the top with that,
1: yeah. Yes, and it's the classic thing of when you try to take a story about kids, like any like young adult book made into a movie, it's like you're always going to cast much older, and sometimes it works, but a lot of times it's very obvious, and this is one of those mm-hmm. things where it's like, these are like full-grown adults that yeah. are playing 13, and then 14, 15-year-olds.
2: It's like a problem because then, for one thing, again, like it's really over the top, but if it were kids, it would be a little bit more like I mean I guess but if it's adults it's like they all just seem really stupid and like really <laughs> dislikable but if they're kids again still over the top but it's like I mean it's better if they're <laughs> children
1: yeah the the sighing and the sobbing of Katara combined with the like trying to make her sexy is one of the saddest things <laughs> 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 ever so um Uh, the audience roars with laughter after all of Sokka's jokes. They are loving him and real Sokka and Katara exchange looks and actress Katara on stage says, is food the only thing on your mind? And Sokka responds, well, I'm trying to get it out of my mind and into my mouth. And the audience erupts again at this cheesy humor, but real Sokka complains in the audience and says like, these jokes, these guys jokes are so lame. And then we get the start of this runner that is tough, loving every second of this play <laughs> like thinking that all of the uh maybe like misreads of the the real life angang are hilarious and actually much more spot on so she says like ah, i think that he's he's exactly right with his jokes and actress katara stands up and begins to monologue and she says We cannot give up hope for hope is all we have and we must never relinquish it even to our dying breath. And then she collapses and cries (laughs) and all of the end gang snickers while Katara is fuming.
0: So this made me think about, I was thinking about the sources and one of the sources listed was prisoners of war. And I'm thinking about the, um, the, the imprisoned episode when Katara gives her big hope speech because the characterizations are probably coming from, you know, a lot of people talked about that big moment. And then it's like that moment become colors, every part of how the character is, is portrayed, even though that's just one brushstroke of Katara's character. So I kind of love that. It Mm. just
2: takes, I feel like with most of the characters, it takes one aspect of the character and then makes it their whole personality, which is another way that it makes them seem stupid, because they don't seem complex and like characters. They just seem like, people who have one emotion
0: right and, and you know and if we want to think um again if we want to think about history like how often do we do that kind of thing where we'll take it we'll take somebody that we're studying and we read one thing from them or we learn a couple facts about them and then that becomes everything that they are mm-hmm,
1: um, uh-huh. so it's,
0: it's really hard to think about historical figures especially further back as as three-dimensional fully rounded characters so we're seeing the, the incongruity we see is actually I think a pretty interesting commentary on how history gets written and and, and again how legends get made.
2: I also wonder if like some of the over the top like just emotion stuff, if we're gonna go with the it was originally like an Earth Nation thing and then it was Fire Nation propaganda if that's another part of the fire nation propaganda to make the heroes more dislikable and less relatable. Um, so I just wonder if it's not just the actual fire nation propaganda, but if it's also saying we're going to make everyone else worse.
0: Well, it's interesting though, because is the Sokka character, he's not Sokka that we know, mm-hmm. but is he dislikable? Cause they seem to love like, They're not laughing at, like, oh, these are bad jokes. They're laughing at, like, he's landing jokes.
2: But Mm. he... His character, like, I feel like the actual Sokka has moments where it's, like, he does things that are really amazing and really great, where then with the stage Sokka, they take all of that away.
0: Right, he's a clown. Yeah, Yeah. so it's, (laughs)
2: like, he's not really dislikable. He just isn't, like cool anymore sure sure
0: now what it what is interesting though is i think especially my view of Sokka has changed a great deal mm -hmm. this is actually pretty close to my initial characterization of Sokka. and if i'm being honest kind of to katara a little bit yeah the show is so much through katara's lens early on that you don't get this version of her too much but there are moments where you sort of feel like well, if I had to describe Katara in a sentence, it, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be hard to end up with this characterization.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But then when you strip them of everything else and you just have that one or two sentences, it's like there's nothing there, right? Like either mm-hmm. she is sobby and overacting and he is just stupid. Like, to be honest, like it's like if you take out any of his genius and then you're right, like it b- makes him a clown. <laughs> like something to laugh at so the music on stage um changes and we have these large icebergs uh this the large iceberg rolls onto the scene and again like the stage like the stage presence and everything is like actually pretty well
0: done it's interesting i was talking with we watched this again just earlier today uh with with esme's mom um, and my wife, I don't know. I, like I was trying to think, like, how do I characterize Ambert? Um, And she's she was in a lot of plays. She was a theater minor, was in a lot of plays, especially a lot of high school plays. Um, and her comment that I thought was really brilliant was they clearly put a lot of work into how you would stage this play practically. And then they animated it. So it's like it's so interesting to see, like, well, how would you with a kind of a high school budget like like a good high school budget mm-hmm. like how would you do things like fire bending and water bending and ocean waves and, bo- and it's like it's actually like i would love to see somebody put on a live production of this using the stagecraft that you see in this in the show i bet it'd be pretty cool to look at
2: yeah. yeah um also the first time we watched it through both my mom and i at different points were like the ways like in the world because it's an animated show like that they do things like bending like the effects are super cool and it's also like that's kind of how it feels like when you watch the movie is like the sets and the costumes and the effects are cool but not the characters and the acting is where where you lose it
1: right like you can put in a lot of money and Yeah, expertise to, like, make it visually very appealing. But when you strip a series into, like, an hour or less, it's not going to be good. Um, You lose out on everything else. So Mm -hmm. the iceberg uh, rolls onto the scene, and we see an Aang cardboard cutout glowing inside of it. And actress Katara says, It appears to be someone frozen in ice, perhaps for a hundred years. (laughs) <laughs> and she she yells waterbend and karate chops the iceberg, revealing the boy. And the boy, uh, Aang, is played by a young woman wearing a bald cap. And she emerges giggling and spinning and says, I'm the Avatar. I'm here to spread joy and fun. And now what's,
0: what's really interesting about this characterization is... Um- The character of Aang in the play is so clearly a play off of mid 20th century stagings of Peter Pan. So you have Mary Martin, you have Sandy Duncan, Kathy Rigby. Peter Pan is always played by a woman and it is like, and and even the way they do it is exactly like Mary Martin, Peter Mm Pan. Mm,
1: Yes. I'm glad you brought that up. I was just about to say that too. Like that is what the writers have said. They drew their influence on was like, very flamboyant feminine there's spinning there's jumping they're like an over-the-top acting over the top like energy uh and so like throughout it's like sustained even in the dramatic moments it's still like a very energetic uh presence and it's quite annoying honestly mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I mean i don't know i've never seen peter pan on stage so maybe that's good but um Anyway, we right. see uh, from behind a uh, giggling woman Aang comes a monstrous Appa that flies from behind the iceberg. And it's more in the style of like um, a Chinese New Year's dragon or lion, like the floats during parades. Um, so that was pretty cool to see, actually. Like, I felt like that was visually well done.
0: Yeah, I, I, yeah, I thought it looked great. And, and it this also, I think, is the introduction to... I think my favorite characters in this episode <laughs> and that is the stage techs. Yeah. Cuz you constantly see stage techs doing the stagecraft thing. so like they're underneath holding up the the big oppa puppet and I I loved it. I like I love every time you see them all dressed in black making the effects happen. It's <gasps> yeah, great. Yeah,
2: it's really funny. Um I also find it interesting too because that's I believe the only scene with oppa in it.
0: You see them flying later. Oh
2: yeah. So there's yeah. two scenes with opponent it, and it's kind of like in the movie where he was made like kind of scary and then they just didn't have him in it a lot where it's also mm. kind of like that is there's just not really animals. And that's mm. what it is in the play too.
1: Yeah. I mean like, especially when you're telling the story. Yeah. Like when you're, when you're interviewing people are telling us, uh, telling a story based on a series of interviews, it's like some of those kind of back, like, Like, the animals might just be background characters, right? In the retelling, right? You're like, oh, it's a big, scary thing. I've never seen a species like this before. And don't give it any depth where, like, clearly we know from season two that, like, Appa's hugely important to the team and how they get around, but also just, like, to Aang's emotional state and well-being. But, yeah, like, if you're interviewing the nomads, they'll be like, oh, yeah, like, there's this big furry animal that was just kind of with them right like it it just becomes Mm -hmm. almost like a prop uh so (laughs) actress katara falls to her knees so full of hope that it's making her quote tear bend (laughs) and woman ang points out um nearby or or uh, uh sokka says i'm so hungry it's making me tear bend And the audience laughs and woman Aang points out some meaty dumplings nearby, which Sokka is excited about. But then Aang says, "Um, did I mention I'm an incurable prankster? And so uh, we get another meta joke.
0: Right. I I think um, I wrote in my notes here, this whole play already seems like how someone would describe avatar if they were watching it half-heartedly from another room. (laughs) It's like, you just get enough to be like, Oh yeah, that Aang is like kind of annoying and energetic. So it's like, that's, that's the only direction, you know, like, and we'll see this as we go on. Like it it feels like a person who was just barely there to see it, Mm -hmm. but they're, you know, and they're in a hurry to tell you what happened. So it's like, roughly speaking, here's what you need to know.
2: Um, also, after this scene, it's not written in the notes, but it's, like, Aang's reaction to his character. And in it, he yells, I am not a woman. And I, <laughs> for one thing, thought it was really funny. And it's also interesting, too, because it's, like, well, he's the Avatar, so he has been women. but Oh, yeah. So it's just, it's kind of interesting that he, like, is, well, it's kind of interesting that he's just that mad about it but like I guess he might not be thinking about that part of it but I just found it interesting
0: that's fascinating
1: right I mean like yeah and historically it, the only parts where we see him get upset about things like masculinity and femininity is when Toph will poke fun at him but even then it's not it's just a name that she calls him like twinkle toes or whatever and he doesn't really respond that negatively so I feel like I I think his strong response is not only because maybe so far his character is the most i mean of the three i feel like Aang's character is the most similar to him (laughs) don't you think
0: yes so i I, it's interesting because i was thinking through like i understand why katara is upset and Mm -hmm. i understand why Sokka is upset but it's like you look at it and you're like well yes that like Saka is just like kind of making these bad jokes like but that's also true like, Ta- like Toph is right it's also true it's not all of you but it's also true Katara it's not all of you but it's also true the thing Aang is upset about is not his characterization he keeps mm. saying I'm not a woman um, mm. and I think that this gets to the point you were making about how much more mature Aang looks now mm. is that he is the youngest character I th- well Toph might be younger right just Toph like mm. 10 Um but but he so so ang is like at you know if he's 12 years old or right like like he's still kind of prepubescent and as we're gonna see this episode is gonna push towards you know him thinking about um who he is identity wise maturity wise in relationship to katara and love and romance Mm. and those types of things so it's he's framing it in terms of I am not a woman but really what he's trying to say I think is I am a man not I am a boy but I am a man mm. um, because mm. he's he's going to be towards the end of this talking about you know adult emotions and things like that and so it's I think it's less about the gender part and more <laughs> about the like maturity part and and oh. and that gets heightened by the fact that he's not even cast as his, his you know current gender we'll say Mm
1: -hmm. yeah yeah for sure so the next scene we have a fire nation ship entering the arctic and we have iroh on board who is offering zuko some cake so iroh and zuko's costuming actually looks like pretty decent i mean Mm -hmm. iroh's an old man a little on the chubby side has some white hair zuko is young kind of basically looks like Prince Zuko, um, actor Zuko, his voice. So this is going to get confusing when I try to say this. Zuko's voice actor's brother voices actor Zuko. Do we oh, get interesting.
0: that? Interesting.
1: Yeah, oh, cool. cool. <laughs> yeah. So um, Dante, I think is his name. Oh, uh, uh, now I'm I'm not sure. Uh, but the actor Zuko's voice actor, his brother plays him okay. as the stage mm. Zuko. It's pretty cool. So. Uh, Actor Zuko has the scar on the wrong side of his face uh, and they do it in a cool way where it's like kind of like a Phantom of the Opera style mask where it's like covering part of his face and that the scar is coming down Uh, and Zuko refuses to eat the cake Iroh offers him. He says he has to focus on regaining his honor and says that Iroh sickens him and real Zuko has his arms crossed in the audience and says they make me look totally stiff and humorless. And Katara's like, I think it's spot on. And Zuko yells, how could you say that? And then on stage, a second later, Zuko roars the same words at Iroh with the same intonation.
0: Two thoughts about this. Stage Iroh is probably the best thing in this play. Mm -hmm. He's pretty great. (laughs)
1: Yeah.
0: I wish we had more of him. Me too. Um, And then it's it's interesting. I think Zuko's response is so interesting um, because... As we'll see going on, part of it is he's responding to his characterization being not inaccurate, but the mm. fact that it is uh, memorialized or immortalized in this production now. And it made me think about how like for all of them seeing things that are pretty true predict- uh, depictions of them or at least aspects of them, you know if we think about our own lives and we think about our, our like the, what, how we experience the world, just because of point of view, we are the heroes of our own stories or we're, the, we're at least the stars of our own stories. Mm. Um, and it's really hard to see how other people see us. And this is this moment where all of the characters are, it's like, they're aware that they're being viewed, which also then ties into the meta commentary about like, they are characters in a story, characters on a show and we are mm. viewing them and, and, and having opinions about them. And now they're seeing our view of them, um, which I think is really cool.
1: Yeah, yes. In our heads, we're all the main character, right? And in our heads, we get to um, edit out some of the less savory parts of who we are. And now Zuko realizes the way that he treated his uncle. I mean, mean, he already knows that, but I think when you have to relive it and watch someone else (laughs) represent it to you, it's not pleasant. Uh, So then we get a montage of scenes we kind of uh, get to see snippets of this is where most of the references are. So uh, the first scene we see is at the Southern Air Temple and Aang obnoxiously tiptoes towards a bush uh, where he hears a sound and he finds a what he calls a flying rabbit monkey and names it Momo and it's clearly a puppet that sits on his shoulder and he like speaks through it with his hand.
0: And this is another one of those moments where they they do the practical effect, which is like because I was thinking to myself, "Wow, how would you do Momo on stage? And then they do it. And you're like, that's actually pretty good. Like, that's a good <laughs> way. I mean, it's a good way to do the effect that mm-hmm. that he like dips behind this bush and comes out with this puppet that looks like it's sitting on his shoulder. And then he or she ventriloquizes him, which is I, I like I like that, that. Right before it happened, I thought, "How are they going to do this?" As if I was watching a real play, and it was like, "Oh, that's actually that's not bad." Yeah.
1: <laughs> so then the next scene is at Kyoshi Island, and we get Saka in Kyoshi warrior dress, and he's asking Suki if the dress makes his butt look fat, and <laughs> Suki actually looks pretty much like Suki. I like, get they did a mm-hmm. pretty good job on her. I don't know that she has any lines. Um but yeah. Suki in the audience is pretty much enjoying the whole experience. I think she finds mm-hmm. it quite funny. She just
2: laughs at it, that <laughs> scene. And it's, it's really funny. Um, I like that part. But it's so also, that- in, it's interesting too, is like the character that in a way they did the most right is Suki. But it's also, she never talks. So the mm. character they did the most right
1: doesn't really do anything. Yes. So. And that must upset you, Sam, because I know how much you love Suki.
0: Well, but I also don't have to see. She feels no pain <laughs> in this episode. And she's That's been true. through so much that it's like, good. It, that, that that makes me feel good.
1: Just give her a break. Yeah. That's right. So then the next uh, scene is at Omashu. Um, there's a truly horrendous Boomy. Um, who's played by a young man wearing a bald cap with like crazy hair coming out at parts like bozo the clown kind of style um and his he has a muscle suit on that's like clearly stitched together like a plushie and then a man in a giant flopsy rabbit costume is like bounding around stage and boomy and flopsy are just tormenting the gang with different puzzles Um, So that's
0: both a horrendous scene, but it also like, like I was, I'm thinking about this whole montage, which is maybe the, one of the stronger parts of this, of this really strong episode. Um, And it's sort of like, what if you summarized each episode in one sentence or like you, you could draw one picture to summarize the whole episode? And it's like, actually, this is like, that's a weird episode. King of Amashu is a weird episode. And it's like, well, that image, there's a lot of pieces there that work.
1: Yeah, I remember even trying to, like, write and say notes for it. It was hard to describe because it's so bizarre. Um, So then the next scene is at the pirate ship. And the gang of pirates is slowly surrounding the Aang gang. But they're able to kind of comically escape through, like, going under the legs of the pirates. And uh, Sokka points out that Katara steals the waterbending scroll and asks her why she did it. And Katara begins to sob and says, it just gives me so much hope. And then we go to the next scene. Uh, And this is one of the great moments like you were talking about earlier, where a stage tech is kind of um, the character who transitions us from one scene to the next. And we just see him standing and waving a thunder sheet uh, behind the stage, um, just deadpan, just so serious about his job. And we're now in fire nation territory Zuko has captured Aang, uh, but uh, as Zuko's announcing his capturing of the Avatar, a man dressed in a giant blue spirit mask that looks more goofy than menacing uh, jumps on stage and battles and chases off Zuko. So they're both like Zuko is, or er, Zuko and the blue spirit are two different entities fighting each other.
0: And and you need to say that the blue spirit mask is like his whole body. So it's like the blue spirit mask with arms and legs. Like it's not a person. It's not a humanoid person wearing a mask. It's a humanoid mask. Yes. Now, what's interesting about this is that, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is the first like real factual error in the play, right? I mean, there's stuff that's characterizations and things like that. But like the fact that the blue spirit and Zuko are two different people. That's is that is that the first thing that's like really, really wrong in the play?
2: Yeah, it is. Mm. Um, it's also interesting, too, though, because it's Zuko that captures Ang, there is no like Zhao character, or if there is, you never see them. Oh,
0: but you do in a little bit, you will,
2: you will, but it's not like a...
0: I love the way Zhao shows I up. I love in the this. way, but <laughs> yes, they get not... <laughs> the, again, yeah. that's the factual error, too, that it's like Zuko that captures him, and then Zoo and then the blue spirit frees him. So we're starting to now see some things where it's like, but that's not even what happened. But
1: then there's (laughs) also not the Zhao pursuing them. Right, right. Yes. And this is also the first time I think in the play where we see firebending shown and it's like throwing red streamers. What would you call that? Yeah,
0: that's exactly it. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: Okay. Ribbons or streamers um, to show the firebending. Which was cheesy, but also like I could see a stage, like a stage, a stage version of this using that. And it doesn't look that bad. No, it's Mm -hmm. like kind of pretty. So, woman, Ang jumps from the shackles once Zuko is chased off stage by the blue spirit, um, and she yells out "My hero!" and jumps and lands on top of the giant blue spirit mask daintily, and uh, real life. Aang and Zuko kind of exchange embarrassed looks at this.
0: Now, Uh, what what I'm wondering here is do Katara and Sokka and Toph and Suki, do they know that Zuko is the blue spirit? I don't think so. Oh, true. So this might be a moment where they're the only two people that know what really happened. They
2: might not have even heard of the blue spirit. Well, actually...
0: Wanted posters and stuff. Okay, in
2: the western air temple when ang is trying to say like well maybe we should give zuko a chance i feel like he says that he like saved zuko saved him when he got captured in that episode Mm. but he didn't like mention the blue spirit so like if they thought about it they could probably figure it out
0: right i'm just saying i don't know that we have a definitive moment of like yeah all that is pieced together
1: yeah it seems like yeah ang or zuko have kind of like mention things around it without actually telling the story. Mm -hmm. Um, Thus, like, you get a weird production or a weird representation on stage. Uh, So then we go to crying Katara, who descends on a rope with Jet, who's kind of (laughs) holding her in like a a heroic, um, almost like uh, Indiana Jones style, like Mm -hmm. descending on a rope. And uh, he has a flower in his mouth. His hair is massive. It's like very anime. And he has a bit of a midriff showing, which was <laughs> hilarious. And he's uh, he says, don't cry, baby. Jet will wipe out that nasty town for you. And then we see blue sheets roll through and destroy the cardboard town <laughs> next to them. And as they go back up into the air on the rope, Katara says, oh, Jet, you're so bad.
0: Now, what's interesting about this, this one is like, here's where we're thinking about propaganda, whether it's from the original play, or if the original play was propagandized. Mm -hmm. Here, we're shifting. I mean, Jet does destroy this Fire Nation town, but we're shifting the meaning of him doing that right now he's doing it. Because it's either a threat to Katara or to impress Katara or something, rather than the Fire Nation destroyed our lives and this is our revenge of that so we're now shifting the sort of meaning the ethical tension within jets attack Mm. which is so interesting in the jet episode and now it's like become this thing which is which is now framed differently uh and it becomes uh yeah less complex in that way
2: um also with this scene um long story why but i was looking at like avatar gifts from this episode and one of them it had this picture and on it it said like this is like was a fan fiction so i think there's also a bunch of parts in the play that they took that were like fan fictions before the third season came out and then like put them in and oh, this is one of them supposedly like
0: kind of jet katara shippers yeah
2: but then i think there are probably also fan fictions that say like that have like a different ending
1: of like, this is actually how oh, the jet I see episode went. Okay, okay. So yeah.
0: That's interesting.
1: Ah, uh, yeah. And I think we see a little more of stuff like that in a couple, mm-hmm. a couple scenes from There's now. Some other ones. <laughs> so then Toph, uh, laughs at this. He thinks it's the jet scene is great, which it is. And then we get a, an, another meta joke. So we're on oppa this time. Oppa is just like a big cardboard thing in the sky and and the gang is sitting on top of him and uh, Aang uh, points out that they're flying over the Great Divide and he, he's like, oh, it's like a, a tourist spot and is talking about how great it is. And there's a beat and then Sokka shrugs and says, eh, let's just keep flying.
0: <laughs> so this is, I think, the second funniest joke in this episode.
1: Yeah, mm. I um, agree
0: and i i knew when we did the great divide episode you said they're going to make a joke about this or reference it sometime later and i kept waiting yeah and uh and this lands so well uh and it's such a great fan service moment because they're basically saying as you rewatch this show like you can skip that episode it doesn't matter
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> It's so good. Um, And then, okay, so then we're at the North Pole. And so like this whole first half is just kind of season one, kind of. It jumps around a little bit within it. Um, But we're at the North Pole and uh, the stage tech empties a bag of confetti from above to make it snow. And we see Sokka and Yue sit and embrace on the bridge. And he says, you're the only woman who's ever taken my mind off food. And they kiss and then Yue floats into the sky on the crescent moon and says, Goodbye, Sokka. I have important moon duties to do. And in the audience, Sokka is like tearing up. But then Suki's next to him and kind of like jabs him and laughs and says, You never told me you made out with the moon spirit. <laughs> Which is the best response Suki could ever have. I was like, you are amazing because you're not weirdly jealous. You're just like, whoa. <laughs> you had a relationship with the moon spirit? That's amazing.
0: Yeah, I love this. I love this because I, I also love that Sokka is genuinely moved by this. And it's like he doesn't want somebody to say anything or interrupt this moment because he is now watching. He, he's rewatching his story and he's into it. And you're yes. right, Suki, Suki is absolutely the best.
2: I also think that, like in the movie, Suki is not Suki. Uh, Yue is like the character that's like, they kind of did them right. Mm. Like yes. I didn't feel like it was real bad. But there's also a thing that I didn't notice the first two times I watched this episode, but I noticed it the third time, that when the snow is like confetti snow stuff is like being put down on them it's just in one spot and it's like behind Sokka so it's not like over the whole scene it's just this one little area and it's really funny
1: (laughs) yes it's like it doesn't even fill the whole spotlight that's on stage (laughs) um I and oh another thing voice actor for Suki um is the same or she also voices Yue Oh, stage, really? Stage, stage, UA. Oh, okay. Yep. Okay, okay. Yep, not UA, UA, but stage UA. So, real
0: Suki too. does stage UA.
1: Yep.
0: Interesting. Yep.
1: I like that. I think yeah. that's fun that they did that. They didn't need to, but I feel like uh, I don't know. I like that for Suki. <laughs> um, so uh, then we move on to uh, Woman Aang is wearing an ocean spirit outfit. <laughs> that looks just like a giant fish costume. It's very much like the shape of a triangle um, and just stomps around on stage while many Fire Nation ships are crushed under her feet and she's holding like a doll that's meant to look like <laughs> Um And then the curtain closes for intermission and the gang is pissed minus Toph who's cheering from the <laughs> audience. Toph is like, give me the popcorn. I want round 2 <laughs>
0: And what's interesting about the very last shot of that is that, you know, it focuses on like the destructive power of avatars of the avatar state, Um, and again, it strips away the the kind of inherent struggle about the avatar state because this is a as we think about as we move into season two, this is this like uh, profound traumatic thing for Aang to think about, and Mm -hmm. instead, it's just like. Look at me being superpower avatar state destroying. You know, like 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 it strips it strips that stuff out.
1: Yeah, even with UA um, and the way that they talk about UA, it's like, she, oh yeah, then she went back to the moon, and it's like, oh, the, the whole reason she had to do that was she had to die,
0: <laughs> right? Die in an
1: earthly way because of the mistakes of Jow and the Fire Nation.
0: So I think the big question as we get to the end of Act One is. Um, <laughs> how does the Ember Island players act one compare to the M night Shyamalan movie? Cause we basically like you get both of those. Now Ember Island players in this episode, this is probably like eight or nine minutes. The Shyamalan movie is an hour and a half, two hours. Uh, and yeah. they actually cover more in 10 minutes than that movie does. entirely. Yeah. So
1: yes, I would say tone wise, the Ember Island players are much better
0: yeah yeah don't you yeah. think yeah we, they just they just need the shamalan budget
1: <laughs> absolutely maybe a little longer time yeah so during intermission the gang is sitting on steps outside the theater and they're worrying about their stage personas and sokka says apparently they think i'm an idiot who tells bad jokes about meat all the time and then suki quips oh yeah, you don't tell bad jokes just about meat. <laughs> she's like, you you tell bad jokes about other topics, too. Um, And then Aang bemoans that a woman plays him, but Toph says, you know what, Aang, you're, it, you're kind of in touch with your feminine side. Like, makes sense. And then Katara is sitting above all of them, and she's like, guys, relax. They're not accurate portrayals. It's not like I'm a preachy crybaby who can't resist giving over-emotional speeches about hope all the time.
0: Which is exactly how Toph, a good friend of hers, would describe her. Yes.
1: Yep. So then there's like an awkward silence and she's like, guys, hello. Can you validate this? Um, So they have their debrief. They go back in. After intermission, we're now at season two. So the Earth's kingdom. And we start with woman Aang looking for an earthbending teacher.
0: And and this is important, what they have um, Aang do here, which is he Mm -hmm. holds a tiny little glider and he's hooked up to a line and flies around the stage and around the whole audience, which is exactly what they did in the staging of Peter Pan. Like that's the famous (laughs) Mary Martin, Peter Pan, Kathy Rigby, Peter Pan is they use the wires to have the character fly around and swoop around like that. So it's, it's Uh, another Peter Pan reference for Aang.
2: Ah. It's also kind of interesting, too, because when they're in Ba Sing Se, um, I don't think. Do they say that they're there yet if they're looking for an earthbending teacher?
0: They're not there. They're in the Earth okay. Kingdom, but they're not in Ba Sing Se, um, Yeah.
2: Never in any of that does it mention them looking for Appa. It's only like mm. finding an earthbending teacher, and then they're like in Ba Sing Se but it never explains why they go
1: there necessarily.
2: Mm. It's just like, oh, yeah, they went there.
1: Yeah, it, it's almost like there's the episode Appa's Lost Days, and it's almost like it was also the End Gang's Lost Days. Like, there was mm. not really any people that you can interview about that time because, like, they weren't moving very fast. They weren't moving very far. Like, it just it was a time lost to all of them, maybe.
0: Yeah, um, I, I made a list, and we'll, we, when we get to the end of this act, of pretty big things from season two that are silences. Cause I feel like mm. season one, we see a lot of like, wow, they actually hit a lot of the things you get to season two. And there's a lot of crucial things that are omitted from the story.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm. So real Toph at the start of season two um, is shaking in anticipation as a boulder on set lifts up from underneath the stage um, and through like a trap door emerges stage Toph. And Stage Toph is ripped and huge, like twice the size of everyone else on stage. Just this huge man with a deep voice who says, you can't find an earthbending master in the sky. You have to look underground.
0: It's like they merged Toph with the boulder.
1: Yes, it is very the boulder-like. And Stage Toph spits and flexes and says, my name's Toph because it sounds like tough. And that's just what I am. And the gang is roaring with laughter in the audience. And there's a second where you think maybe Toph might be upset, but then she is thrilled. And she explains that, uh, or, and then stage Toph explains how, you know, like, oh, I can't see like you guys can. Um, I see with my mouth, (laughs) with a sonic wave from my mouth, and then screams in the faces of the Aang gang. And Toph is like, yes, this is amazing. This is what I want.
0: And I love that that's, like, the biggest inaccuracy about her. And she's just on board for it. Like, yep, that's great.
1: This is, yeah, that's the scene. This is Mike's one of Mike's favorite scenes of all of Avatar. He's, like, the way that they played off that joke was so well done. Uh, And, like, so pleasing that Toph is okay with this. Like, it it makes everything better. (laughs) So then we see a scene between iroh and zuko and iroh says zuko it's time we had a talk about your hair it's gone too far and he gestures towards zuko's flowing locks and zuko offended says maybe it's time we split up and then they both walk in different directions on stage so what is omitted obviously is anything of their story except for somehow Zuko's hair has made them uh, not want to be together.
0: Right. I mean, Iro is written out of history here. I mean, I, th- season two is arguably the Iro season in lots and lots of ways, mm. and he's yeah, he's he's written out of history. So Iro is one of the big silences. Because mm. I mean, imagine Avatar, the show Avatar without Iro, and that's pretty much what the boy in the iceberg is.
1: Yeah, and the Fire Nation does not want to put on a play where there's any complexity about Iroh. They want him to be passive. They want him to be just a glutton. Mm -hmm. And, like, that's what the play made him. Mm -hmm. So then we get a desert scene um, after Zuko alone uh, where Azula is surrounded by the Aangang, Iroh, and Zuko. And Azula points to the distance and is like, She's like, Oh, I'm surrounded, right? Like I'm I'm caught by everyone. But she points in the distance and says, Wait, what's that? I think it's your honor. And Zuko's like, wait, where? And everyone looks, and then Azula is able to disappear, and they're all amazed that she pulled off such um such a a an escape plan. Um and then the next uh, next scene is at Bossing Safe. And we have a, a stage tech who cranks a lever below the stage and makes a giant drill move on the stage. So it's um, the scene where the drill is trying to break through the walls of Ba Sing Se, um, with Azula standing on top. And she's ordering the drill to break through all the walls of Ba Sing Se. And we get another kind of fan y moment where they go to the audience and the audience is sleepy. They're all like snoring. And so the writers were like, yeah, this is a joke at our expense, right? Like a lot of people didn't really like this, the drill episode because they felt it was just kind of boring and not much happened.
0: Right. Because it doesn't end up resulting in anything. And we don't even see the resolution of that in this scene. It just sort of cuts mm. away from it.
1: Mm-hmm. So then the next scene is in Lake Laogai uh, and Jet's Jet is back and he's spinning around on the ground. But this time his whole presence is green and his eyes are kind of like bulging and um, he has like fake eyeballs on to like going in different directions. And he says robotically, must serve Earth King, must destroy. And he rides on stage as the acting gang looks on <laughs> kind of in horror. Um, and then a boulder slowly drops from above from a stage tech um, and covers Jet's body poorly like it kind of has to chase after him on stage um and uh and the boulder covers jet and he is presumably dead we're not sure so real zuko whispers to the gang did jet just die and Sokka says you know it was really unclear
0: best joke of the entire (laughs) like the entire show not just this episode um because it is both like, did he just die in that scene? Did Jet really die? And and like that, I I remember watching this the first time, and both uh, you and your mom laughed out loud <laughs> at that joke. And it's just, I, every time I see it, I just think that is such a funny commentary on like kind of where we all left mm-hmm.
2: that. <laughs> um, I also found the scene interesting that Zuko asked, "Did Jet die?" Because like Zuko would have met Jet like on the way to Ba Sing Se and in Ba Sing Se, but he wouldn't have known that he died. So this would have, unless they like oddly (laughs) brought it up in conversation, this would probably be the first time that it's like, oh yeah, he died. Like first time he would have known.
0: Well, that's what's so great about it is like when he's asking, "Did Jet just die?" He's asking in the play, but also like, "Did Jet die?" Like, (laughs) I didn't know about that.
1: it's so dark (laughs) like to be like that's the way you learn that this person you spent some like a decent amount of time with has passed away
0: (laughs) it actually and i will say this is the thing that serves one of the biggest plot points going forward which is i was always feeling like i didn't like the way that resolved so i was like are they going to bring jet back at some point now they don't have to because they've (laughs) just they've just addressed the fact that Yep, this, is, it, this was weird, wasn't it? Like, what exactly happened? And now I feel like we're never going to know, and I'm totally okay with it. In fact, mm-hmm. I hope we don't find out.
2: <laughs> I actually feel now more like he actually is dead, because if they like had put it in the play, like the guy researching it, it'd probably have been in like, yeah, I'm going to show a character's death. So I feel like that for me was more closure of, okay, yeah, he's dead.
1: Mm, mm. one of the mysteries of avatar so then we go to uh oh another scene at lake laogai um but this time it's it's kind of like in the prison i think this is in lake laogai is that correct
0: yes yeah okay
1: um and katara (laughs) is standing in a cave where she and zuko were thrown into prison um, and in this cave, she admits her attraction to Zuko. She says, I've had eyes for you since the day you first captured me. Well, vomit. Just so gross. <laughs> and uh, real Zuko and Katara sit next to each other, un- uncomfortably kind of scoot away from each other at the same time as they're watching this scene. And real Aang is quite upset. And this, he actually locks in on the performance and like, his body his posture is like now towards the stage like he wants to take in everything in this scene um and he watches as katara says stage katara says that ang is like a little brother to her not romantic uh, at all and then actors zuko and katara hold and nuzzle each other while real ang stands up and leaves the theater he can't stand to watch this any longer and this is another one of those like fanfic kind of moments, right? Mhm.
0: So this is like, for the for the the uh Katara Zuko shippers. They 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 let a scene play out yes. that didn't that didn't actually play out.
1: I think um they they affectionately call it Zutara. Yeah, <laughs> Zutara shippers. Um yeah, I mean like you could watch that scene and be like, "Oh, maybe there's some thing between the two of them like i i could see that just because those two people have like a lot of it's maybe it's weird to be like chemistry when it's an animated show yeah 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 yeah. um
0: this seems like potentially somebody who walked in on them while they were in prison having a pretty like uh emotional conversation it wouldn't hmm. be hard to project a bunch of the rest of this stuff out and then fit what they say into the narrative of the story
1: yeah, which is essentially like what fans did with Jet 2. and Well, with Jet was is a little more obvious, but even like Haru, who's not in mm-hmm. this at all, right? Right. Um, so then we have a scene with an almost empty stage. And on it, are there's a Fire Nation and Earth Kingdom flag that are both draped side by side overhead. And we have Azula on the side of the Fire Nation flag and Iroh on the side of the Earth Kingdom flag and standing in between them is Zuko, and he is forced to choose a side. And Azula's like, you have to choose now. Do you wanna choose to be with the Fire Nation or do you wanna choose to be a traitor? And Iroh's like, choose the side of treason, like it's more fun, choose me. And Zuko begins to walk towards Iroh and stands next to him and, and Azula believes, and the audience believes that he has chosen Iroh but then zuko abruptly pushes the old man over and then joins azula on the other side of the stage and he says i hate you uncle you smell and i hate you for all time and real katara asks zuko in the in the audience if he actually said that and zuko shrugs and says i might as well have
0: and i think this is one of those moments where it's so interesting because Zuko is, as we said, he's struggling with this play for a different reason. He's struggling because it is pointing out hard truths in his life, even though mm. that's not exactly how it happened. Like Zuko's like, well, but that's what happened. and, and yeah and you know I have to I have to deal with that.
2: Um, also in this scene, which you didn't mention, after Zuko makes the choice, the Earth Kingdom like banner <laughs> thing falls down on IRO. And it reminded me a lot of the scene from The Awakening where Aang throws his staff on the ground and then the Fire Nation banner falls on top of it. And I found Mm -hmm. that really interesting that it was like in that moment, Aang made like this big choice to like go off on his own. And then in that one, Zuko made a big choice to like go with the Fire Nation. But then they both went back on the choices that they made. And I found that really interesting that they did that.
1: Mm, and that both of those choices are wrapped up in their identity, too. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, so then we, the last scene before intermission, there's another, uh, is the Earth Kingdom Palace. And we see May throwing daggers at Earth Kingdom soldiers. Uh, how would you describe the way May is throwing daggers?
0: This is the greatest stage tech moment of all time, because she pulls it out of her hair and, like moves her hand like she's going to throw it. And one of the stage checks takes it out of her hand and like walks it over to the, to the target. It is so phenomenal. <laughs> Cause it's like, it's clearly a guy dressed in black, walking the dagger across the stage. I,
1: I love it so much. Um, and, and Bosco the bear is uh, sitting looking on from the throne. So Bosco made it. Uh, we see a Ty Lee who is being, uh, just a looks like a ballerina but like an adult ballerina uh, uh, jumps in and kisses soldiers to make them paralyzed and uh, woman Aang jumps down from a, above and yells avatar state yep yep and loved the it. whole
0: loved <laughs> loved the yip yip like getting in there it's like yeah you know he's the guy who said this is another one of those listing from a different room you're like yeah that's the character that says like yip yip and then like starts to glow <laughs> It's like they just like they just got the facts wrong a little bit there. Loved that joke.
1: <laughs> uh, the whole set then turns into a black light, and so Aang's uh, tattoos are glowing. And Azula enters the stage. She bends lightning at Aang, so those blue streamers are thrown at Aang, uh, who falls and dies uh, on stage. And Azula says, "The avatar is no more." and the audience erupts in applause. And then we have our next intermission.
0: So it, so I made a list of stories that were not told, uh, and we touched on some of these. Um, we get nothing about the library. We get nothing about the Day of Black Sun, um, which is this huge, big reveal motivating force. Um, we get nothing about opposite uh, abduction. We really don't get Zuko alone, other than I think we should split up, like, we missed that's like a zuko's lost day situation there is no dai li in this
1: there's Mm. no long
0: fang and there's no dai li there's no guru there's not much iroh
1: yes and the no dai li thing is interesting too because when they're talking about who jet is uh who has um manipulated jet he's like Oh the earth king i have to fight for the earth king i must destroy for the earth king there's like no mention at all of who is actually mm-hmm. behind the control mechanisms in bossing say
0: Presumably because the Dai li under the control of someone like azula is still in control in bossing say
1: yeah. yeah
2: Um i think in the scene though that like when mei throws the dagger thing i think they're supposed to be fighting da- the Dai li but that would be weird because it doesn't seem like they should be fighting them in the story.
0: I think they're just Earth Kingdom soldiers. Maybe like there maybe, is there's no sense like, of the Dai Li.
2: I interpret it as it's supposed to be the Dai Li, but they just never
1: call them that.
0: Mm. It could be, yeah. But but there is we lose all the the Dai Li Long Fang conspiracy stuff.
1: Yeah, mm. which is one of the coolest parts of season two.
0: Right. This is also a play that has two intermissions, which never, like, that's not a thing. (laughs) It's a three-act structure with two intermissions.
1: Yeah. I think it's needed. I think the gang needs a little extra intermission. How
0: long is this play?
2: Exactly. Because, like, okay, in the first intermission, they, like, go outside, and it's dark by the first intermission. So I want to know when the play starts and when it ends, and if it's, like... Or if it's just like gets really dark on Ember Island really early or something like I want to know how long it is that it needs two intermissions.
1: It's got to be long because there were so many different scenes and we only saw like a second of dialogue in each one. (laughs) (laughs) I want to I want to watch this.
0: I know. I would love like the extended (laughs) cut where you got to just watch the play.
1: You know what? Maybe since they're like building out like the avatar world now, what I don't remember what it's called. You remember what they're calling the like avatar,
0: it's avatar studios, but I don't know what the, yeah.
1: Yeah. Maybe avatar studios is going to make a, you know, like Hamilton did their live,
0: I would uh, they're like on Netflix
1: so and just saying, I think they it could be great.
0: <laughs> so if I'm going to make a pitch, a pitch to this, I'm going to say, mm. let's do the boy in the iceberg play by the Ember Island players, but let's do it in stop motion animation. Wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> That'd be so fun. Because then you'd have that like practical feel to it. You know, like a like yeah. a Rankin and Bass Rudolph the Red nosed Reindeer, but yeah, story that would be really fun to watch.
1: <laughs> I'm almost surprised that the creators never were like, "Let's do a stop motion episode." Like it, it seems like something that they would do.
0: Don't you? Yeah, think? that might Wait. break. It might break the it, reality of the show. Yeah, too much. Mm-hmm. but I think in this extended world, we could do that, and it would be. I would love it. Or, or do a stop motion uh, love amongst the dragons because I'll watch <gasps> that too. That would be great. Yes. I don't even know what it's about, and I would watch it.
1: Yes, me too. And also, like throw in some music, make it a musical. Yeah, could be fun. What
0: they should do is they should start a limited Netflix series that is just called the Ember Island Players, and they do different plays. They could do this play, Love Amongst the Dragons. I'm sure there are other plays that we could see. I would love that.
1: Maybe a Kyoshi
0: Warrior play they do. That would be amazing.
1: Oh, they could do um, Suki alone and talk about the days when
0: Suki was lost. Please. Do you want
1: the Ember Island (laughs) Players to do that, Yes, because
0: I want them to be bad. I want them (laughs) to be bad in this way where it's like, I don't trust the narrative that I'm mm-hmm. like. I, yeah, it's an unreliable narrator situation. <laughs> but I think that would be really because they would all be kind of funny then. Like yeah. that's the point is they're all like kind of butchering stories. I would. Mm-hmm. I think yeah, would
2: but I feel I like guess you I... would want the actual story. Well,
0: and that can then, appear somewhere else. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yes. Like would, wouldn't version. it be
0: more interesting to only have what you know is a butchered version of the story? So you'd have to wonder like, what is Ooh, real about this? And what, what
2: would be good if they did the butchered version and then like two years later, yes. they put out the real version. So then you get the like warped version first and then you see how much of this is actually accurate. I
0: uh, genuinely love that idea.
1: <laughs> I would watch it. I would watch both. It'd be amazing. So then, uh, uh, during our intermission, the gang is reflecting again, this time in the theater hallway. And uh, you might think, how could they all sit in the theater hallway and not be like revealed that these are the people who are on stage? But the uh, writers are really clever, as always, and they have people walking through the aisles who are dressed up like the characters on stage so like there's little boys walking through that are dressed as Aang. um there's kids dressed as zuko and it's like oh okay they they just kind of blend in with like these super fans of the ember island players
0: <laughs> it makes me wonder is there is this also like a rocky horror picture show kind of thing to like people get up and do lines during it and, uh, yeah
1: yes um so suki says it seems every time there's a big battle you guys barely make it out alive um, it, accurate. And uh, Katara then walks up and wonders, you know, where has Aang gone? He's been gone for a couple um, scenes. And so she goes off to look for him and finds him outside. He's standing, uh, looking over the ocean at night. Um, and he's upset. He's upset by the way that the, the play is portraying him. Uh, and Katara sits with him a little longer. It seems like they're about to start a discussion. Inside, Suki and Sokka plan to sneak backstage to give tips to Sokka's actor, uh, which is something that apparently is based on the voice actor for Sokka, because originally when they wrote Sokka's character, he was much more somber, maybe even similar to the way that um, Shyamalan's movie depicted him, like just a much more serious person. But the voice actor wanted to throw in a little more jokes, a little more energy, make it um, goofier. So, like, it was very much at the actor's request.
0: Wow. kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> that is so cool.
1: Yeah, right? Um, I think it's also a joke about fans thinking that they have better theories than the writers do. Or, like, oh, you should have written this in or this in. And, like, always pitching their ideas, especially with such a huge... Um, like, cultural, like, TV show or moment, uh, I think, like, with, uh, you and I talk about this a lot, Sam, like, we don't want to speculate too much, because we don't want to go out ahead of the writers and, like, do, like, think something that we want, and then they don't actually deliver it, you know?
0: Right, because then you just feel disappointed, yeah.
1: Right, yeah, and it's like, oh, you never actually really had to, because, like, there's a good story, it's just not the story that we're imagining, right? Um, so while so- uh, Suki and Sokka go off to find Sokka's actor, Toph and Zuko sit inside and discuss the play.
0: We need to say something more about the the Suki and Sokka thing because this is such a great moment where Sokka turns to Suki and and was like, "Could you help? You think you could help me get backstage?" And we cut to a full like Suki s- speaking to Sokka, but like saka pov she's the whole screen is her face and she says something like i am this like uh
2: no she says i am a skills warrior who's trained for many years in the art of stealth
0: and then she <laughs> says yeah i can get you backstage it's like so at first you're like is she upset that he's asking her this trivial thing and then she's like no finally i get to do my stuff here and it's just it's another one of those like suki's the best this is this yeah. is suki being the absolute best
1: and the two of them together are so perfect <laughs> um so then we we get a moment of Toph and zuko together and zuko says uh like uh, is is complaining about the play and um he says you don't get it Toph. you get a muscly version of yourself taking down 10 bad guys at once and making sassy remarks and Toph's like yeah it's pretty great and zuko's like but for me it takes all the mistakes I've made in my life and shoves them back in my face. My uncle—he's always been on my side, even when things were bad. He was there for me. He taught me so much, and how do I repay him with a knife in his back? It's my greatest regret, and I may never get to redeem myself.
0: So, what's cool about this is Sokka or uh, Zuko is believing the play too. Mm. You know that he's like—he's buying into the propaganda about him and how he treated. Uh, how he treated Ira. I mean, some of it is true, but uh, even we know that it's more complex than that, but Mm. he can't see that complexity. He can only see this version of it. And that's what what Toph then points out to him.
1: Yeah. And the play is kind of like getting at all of their insecurities in a way. I mean, uh, Sokka even has said before, like, he's not an idiot, right? Like, he's like, everyone just writes me off, but I'm not an idiot. And and then this play is like throwing that in his face. And Aang d- wants to be a man who like Katara would be interested in. And like, it's feels like he's always falling short. Like it's, it's truly the only one who has a good representation is Toph.
0: And she has um, the weirdest representation <laughs> and it's a good one.
1: So then Toph comes in with some advice or some comfort and says, you have redeemed yourself to your uncle. You don't realize it, but you already have. She said, I once had a long conversation with the guy and all he would talk about was you. And Zuko's like, really? And she said, yeah. And it was kind of annoying. And Zuko apologizes. And she says, but it was also very sweet. All your uncle wanted was for you to find your own path and see the light. And now you're here with us. He'd be proud. And then there's a moment, like a tender moment, and then Toph smacks him hard on the arm and says, "That's how I show affection."
0: I love this because Toph is such a guy. Mm. Like that's such a guy thing of like, "Uh, we're getting a little too like warm and emotional here, so I'm going to do this thing to like break that moment." And that is that it's it's such a it reads as such a stereotypical like guy <laughs> move, so I love that they have mm. Toph doing that.
1: Mm.
2: I also think that the scene is almost like more powerful because it is coming from Toph and she actually like calls what Iroh said, sweet, which doesn't seem like that's her character. So I feel like it makes it a lot more powerful and meaningful that it's like, mm. this is a word she would probably never use. So I think that mm. it's it like, I noticed it a lot when she said it. And I think it's really like important that those are the words that she uses
1: yeah for sure and uh like that we've had some katara zuko bonding we've had some Sokka zuko bonding and Aang, and now it's like Toph gets her little moment too mm-hmm. um so then a little kid dressed as ang runs down the hallway and compliments zuko on his zuko costume he's like wow your cost your zuko costume is really good but the s- the scars on the wrong side and zuko yells <laughs> It's not on the wrong side. He's like, I know what side it's on. Uh, this
0: literally then, is the scar.
1: <laughs> it is me. <laughs> I've lived it. So then, backstage, uh, we see Sokka and Suki find stage Sokka. and Sokka introduces himself as a as a huge fan, and he's like, "But I have some ways that you can you can make your Sokka even better, right?" And so he gives him some joke ideas. He like pulls out a couple different cards with jokes on them. And uh, stage Sokka like looks through the different jokes and laughs at all of them. He's like, yeah, these are pretty good. Like Rocky relationship. Like he's kind of like reading the punchlines aloud. And the whole time Suki is standing behind them, palm to her face. Like, this is not funny. And Sokka tells him, You know, like, don't be afraid to make up funny phrases, especially when you fight, like flying kick-a-pow. Like, just throw those things in, sprinkle in some more humor. And then the two of them walk arm in arm away and leave Suki behind. (laughs) Uh, Back outside, Aang asks uh, Katara if what the stage Katara said was true. And that he's just a brother to her and she has no feelings for him. And he says, "It's true, isn't it? We kissed at the invasion, and I thought we we're going to be together, but we're not." And Katara says, "Aang, I don't know. We're in the middle of a war, and we have other things to worry about. This isn't the right time." And he says, "When is the right time?" And Katara goes, "Aang, I'm sorry. Right now, I'm just a little confused." And then Aang leans in when her eyes are closed and kisses her again. And she repeats herself. She says, "I said I'm confused." And then she was like, I'm going to go inside. And so she runs inside and leaves Aang out on the balcony. Um, And then Aang joins the friends a little bit later and sits instead by Suki and Sokka in the back row.
0: This scene is um, painful to watch. Mm. Uh, But it's because it's really well done. I mean, this is is too real in terms of that feeling of like, I'm going to put myself out there. And I didn't get the response that I wanted. And like in the same way, we think about like we are the heroes of our stories. In moments like this, you have the expectation that when I put myself out there, this is then going to be the moment where the person says the thing back to me, and it is this perfect, beautiful moment. And it's not. And then I love when she walks away. He's like beating up on himself, and he's like, "That was stupid. Why did I do that?" You know, and Mm -hmm. like, and you realize like Ang has. We know he has these insecurities, but like he's really torn up about this. And I just thought this scene is perfectly done, Mm-mm. but not for, yeah, to watch.
1: no, no. And, and there's a part of me that's like, Ang, you shouldn't like, don't kiss her. She just said she's confused. But at the same time, when you're like, especially like for a first love, that kind of stuff is always, you always misstep. Like there's, there's always going to be those uncomfortable moments, especially when it's unrequited. And then, um, it's like, how do you move on when like that person is your whole world, too? Really sad. Uh, so then we go back inside the theater and Sokka fills in Aang on what he's missed. There's been many scenes that he uh, was outside during. Um, and they say, now we're at the invasion. The invasion is about to begin. And stage Aang and Katara stand on what looks like, I couldn't tell, a tank, a submarine, some kind of vague... Well, in the invasion,
0: they were submarines that they were on, Uh. so I assume that's what it's supposed to be, but who knows if they got it right. There's
1: like a
2: periscope thing behind them, so I think it's Uh. supposed
1: to be a submarine. Yes, and I think there's water, too.
0: They actually framed this up. It looks a lot like the scene looks in the episode. It does.
1: And Katara, uh, stage Katara says, I just want to let you know, Aang, that I'll always love you like a brother. And woman Aang wholeheartedly agrees. She shakes her head yes, and she's like, I, I couldn't agree more, and then flies off to fight. Meanwhile, actor Sokka tries out some of real Sokka's jokes, uh, like, would you say you and Toth have a rocky relationship? And the audience eats it up, and real Sokka is ecstatic that he's killing it, too. And uh, all the while, poor Aang has to watch this conversation unfold on stage that is very different from the one that he just tried to have with Katara. And so, like, literally five minutes later, he's feeling the shame. He's sitting there and watching this and looking at the back of Katara's head and she is not turning to look at him. There's like no warmth at all. Um. So the stage gang makes it to the palace for the invasion, but it's empty. And Zuko is there and uh, decides, I'm going to join the Aang gang. And they all run off stage. Like, the decision is made in a split second. And real Sokka says, like, oh, I guess that's it. We're caught up to the present now, right? Like, the the play must be over.
2: Go ahead. Um, There's... When Aang comes and sits down and Sokka, like, tells him what happens... One of the things that he says is, like, that Combustion Man died, which is weird, for one thing, that the playwright would know that, and it would be after the invasion, so I find it weird that they flipped that, and also I find it weird that it would have been in there at all, because it was like yeah. a Western Air Temple.
1: Yeah, true, like, and who knows about Combustion Man, like, I'm pretty sure just Zuko knows, right?
2: yeah.
0: Except combustion man created a lot of destruction in his wake. So, like <laughs> maybe people are aware that, like, something's going on, yeah. There.
2: I think the people in the town from the runaway oh. are able to to say, like, yeah, we know who this guy is. He basically destroyed the entire town. So,
1: yes, because that was like in broad daylight, too, yeah, ok. yep. that makes sense, <laughs> but yeah, the order is like switched up in the way that season three unfolds, especially. And season two, like, mm-hmm. the order that um, Sokka fills them in on is kind of jambled. Yeah. Um. And the the so the play uh, continues, though, after Sokka's like, oh, it's, it's got to be over. And we see Fire Lord Ozai standing alone on his throne, surrounded by fire. And sozen's comet flies overhead. It basically just looks like a disco ball on a string that's, like, kind of floating by um, with flames attached to it. And he says, no one will be able to stop the Fire Nation. And then Azula enters. She bows dramatically to her father and tells her father that Aang and Zuko are trying to stop him. And Ozai disappears in a cloud of smoke after he tells Azula, you take Zuko, I'll take Aang. And so Azula fights Zuko. And she says, you're no longer my brother. You are an enemy. And they fight with their fire streamers and lightning streamers. And Azula sends sheets of fire over towards Zuko, who falls into a trapdoor on stage, yelling, honor, and dies. The crowd it's, cheers. It,
0: it's interesting to think of this because it is very similar. What she says is very similar to what she said at the beginning of Southern Raiders, where mm-hmm. she's she's like, you know, I'm going to like, like, I'm celebrating because I'm about to become an only child. So, like, there's this, I'm going to destroy you. And they have this fight that actually ends very differently, you know, where Azula's the one who's falling, right? Mm. Um, And we see that she saves herself. But um, it's so gutsy of the people writing the show Avatar The Last Airbender to sit to not only do this clip show, but then to be like, and we're going to end the show now before the finale. We're going to give you a version of the ending. Now, obviously, this is... I assume not how this show is going to end, but like, it's such an interesting choice because even presumably people in the theater know these events have not happened yet because Susan's comet hasn't come back yet. Uh. So it's like, it's weird to be like, this is the story. And now we're going to tell you the future. Like that's a, that's a weird, that's a weird story construction, but I love it as in terms of the, the, the people, um, writing this episode because this also might be a version of everybody wants to say how this is going to end so let's just fast forward to the ending Mm. Mm -hmm.
1: so the crowd cheers at zuko's death and a wide-eyed real zuko looks on ang meets ozai in the next scene who harnesses the power of the comet And he says the comet is already here and i'm unstoppable so essentially you're too late right and there's a last battle sequence uh with ang using air and ozai shooting fire and ozai sends a blanket of fire to engulf ang whose death is long and drawn out there's like a long no and then she dies and azula and ozai celebrate their victory together and Ozai says, the dreams of my father and my father's father have now been realized. The world is mine. And the crowd goes crazy and the Aang gang sits in shock. Outside, the gang walks home in the dark and Zuko says, that wasn't a good play. And all the friends agree, though Sokka says he liked the fa- the effects. <laughs> and that's how it ends. That what last fitting line. episode,
0: too. Or, or fitting end to the episode.
1: Yeah, no, that last line is definitely meant to be, like, about the movie, right? Like, even in the DVD commentary, they were like, yeah, <laughs> right? Like, it's not a good movie, but the effects are sweet, right? Like, everything on the outside is good. Yeah,
0: the setting looks cool, the yeah. the costumes. Uh, I, though I would say the effects in The Last Airbender are pretty bad. Yeah. Like, the way yes. that the be- – especially the bending effects – um, but yeah it is it's it's like everything except for the thing itself is good yeah yeah so as we your... think ab- yeah as we think about this episode um what are ideas you take out of this episode i mean even the idea of doing an episode like this because the next thing that's gonna be on screen is the end game is the finale so it's a four-part finale but if you're watching this on netflix and i don't know how the finale aired do you know how the finale aired originally did it air as like a a tv movie or did they do it in four episodes
1: that i don't know i know that this episode was in like included in this countdown to the finale or like countdown to the final battle and they had like special events and like special tv things happening i don't know early 2000s right like i don't know what that that looked like
0: so that's fascinating so this was really created to be part of a build-up event thing so it really i mean it really was created like a quasi clip show that's Mm, yes that's that's fascinating because i forget that like this would have um tv uh build-up around it because this Mm. you know premiered on tv this wasn't dropped as episode 17 on netflix but this you know the the fact that this aired and they sort of did events around so i would love to go back in time and be able to take in like the hoopla at least on nickelodeon around uh, a show like this
1: yeah so i'm reading on the avatar wiki page it says the episode was part of an event called countdown to the comet the new episodes of avatar began airing on july 14th starting with the western air temple followed by firebending masters the boiling rocks part one and two the Southern Raiders, and then the Ember Island Players, and then finally, Sozin Comets, Part 1 through 4. I don't know how those all uh, were released.
0: I bet that was released as like a movie, don't you think? Mm, All at once. Mm -hmm. I think so. I would guess. I mean, I I could be wrong on that.
2: Especially if they were doing a countdown, because then it's like, we're going to do a huge countdown, and then you have to watch in four different parts. (laughs) That would seem that would seem mean
1: (laughs)
0: it's true 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 it's like unnecessarily cruel so uh, um what are uh, what are other thoughts or observations that you have thinking about this episode
1: Hmm. uh it was a nice recap it was hilarious it's one of my favorite episodes um going into it, it it did make me really excited about the last four episodes to come. And I had never really thought about how they like gave a, like a preview of some potential events of what the next episodes could look like. So now I'm going into it being like, is it going to mirror some of the stuff we see on stage or not? And that might be a fun thing to track.
0: Yeah. I would say it's not among my favorite avatar episodes, but it is among my favorite things that I've ever been on TV. <laughs> like, cause it's it's weird. Cause it's not, I mean, it is an avatar episode, mm-hmm. but it's more like this weird art piece. That's like, it's like better than an avatar episode, but it's not as good as, it's not as good as being an avatar episode as say, mm-hmm. Socus master or boiling rock or Zuko alone, but as a piece of media art and like conceptually it's, so much better than you'd expect from something like this. Like it's mm-hmm. it's it's truly great. Now I want to point out Okay, go ahead, Mims.
2: Um, I think that the thing with Ember Island players, I think it is one of my favorite episodes, but I have trouble saying that because it is like the clip show. So it's hard <laughs> to say like my favorite episode is that one. Cause I would rather say it was something like Zuko Alone or Sokka's Master were like stuff. Happens, which I feel like is both the cool part of it and also kind of the bad part. Is it's like it almost feels like I shouldn't love it as much as I do.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's it definitely. I mean it it does not push the plot along yeah. one iota because mm-hmm. even the stuff that the characters are struggling with are stuff they were already struggling with. Yeah. We already knew that they were struggling mm-hmm. with that. But it creates. It is such a cool thing and it's such an interesting like let's all catch our breath one last time before we turn for you know down the home stretch now Mm -hmm. i want to i was talking about silences in this i want to point out some characters that do not appear in the the boy in the iceberg and i want you to tell me what these characters have in common Uh, the the duke Haru, Teo, Chitsang, and Hakoda—the <laughs> Cave Crew. <laughs> the Cave Crew are not even in the play. Oh, <laughs> that's so sad. <laughs> it is bizarre. Maybe there's gonna,
1: maybe there's gonna be a different play that'll be called the Cave Play, and it'll be about about the them. Cave
0: the, the Cave Crew's lost days. Can we get that yeah. episode? <laughs> cave Crew Alone. <laughs>
2: it turns out they just did like some insane cool adventure stuff but like they're just that cool that they don't even need to mention it now
0: think about this if hakoda wasn't there if it was just Chit Sang, teo haru and the duke they could never mention those characters again and we'd be okay like you would you would kind of forget like are those guys still in a mountain somewhere like trying to figure out where they're going and like Imagine if
1: Suki was thrown in with that crew, too, which, like, she probably should have been. I mean, yeah. not really, because mm-hmm. we love Suki, but, like, if their dad is with them, like, <laughs> bringing Sokka's <laughs> girlfriend along is, like, kind of a strange choice, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. But just ima- she would just be sitting there and being like, I could be with everyone else. <laughs> <And> Honestly,
0: yet- <laughs> I think she'd be sitting there being like, maybe prison was better than this.
1: <laughs> Truly. They're all, like, looking to her for entertainment or stories yeah. or whatever. She's like, I can't anymore.
2: The prison, at least she can be by herself
1: at That's some parts in the day. Well
0: done. That is exactly she, exactly right. You get some quiet, at least.
1: She has some peace. <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, she, yeah. Yes. It's like, um, I think it was an interview with Tina Fey, uh, my lord and savior, Tina Fey, who was, like... Uh, like for my birthday all I want is to just like sit in a room by myself with no one else and like nothing in it just me no no sensory anything like just having had kids I feel like that would be Suki and that just like I'm gonna find a, a corner of this cave and sit by myself right. um I think that Yes, they were all omitted from this, probably purposefully, because like
0: it's what? interesting though that Hakoda is, because so much of their story is about their mother and their father, and that that doesn't get mentioned is interesting. Yeah, yeah. yes. Um, so, so those might be the types of characters that get stripped from history. That, like, yeah. I mean, if if we're thinking about you know again to get serious about thinking about you know how something like this contributes to history, it's like. Who's remembered and who's forgotten, and we're doing that in real time. And so there is this sort of sense that like what seemed like this driving force for Katara and and Sokka, because we've the last episodes, the last three episodes have all been about resolving that parent stuff. Boiling uh-huh. Rock is about Hakoda, um, Southern Raiders is about their mother uh, Kira, and those characters are erased from this version of the historical record. Um, written by this playwright who sought out these sources that's kind of interesting yeah
1: and even like the secondary characters that did make it in like jet i mean they made it in for the great joke for jet but they also i mean he also made it in because he's connected to a traumatic experience related to the fire nation right and it's Mm -hmm. like uh so if you're gonna tell that story about that destruction you need to fill out a little bit more of the character. And like, that is totally how we do history. Like people are important when, uh, when they're connected to something that is traumatic to me or to my, to my culture or to my history, you know, like Mm -hmm. then we, then we know those characters, but only when it's more about me. Right. Like that's and like, maybe that's a really pessimistic view of history, but I, I think that it could stand pretty true.
0: Absolutely, I mean, I really think you could bre- you could break down this episode as a commentary on on how stories are told and how history is made. Um, yeah. As we're kind of rounding the the corner here, I actually have a question for you, Esme. Mm-hmm. That's less about Ember Island players. Um, you're the first person who's ever been uh, a, a co-host on an episode <laughs> of this show, like a guest who sat in through this whole thing. I'm curious. You talked about watching the show. Avatar The Last Airbender, you binged basically the first two seasons, mm-hmm. most of the first two seasons. And season three, especially, you've watched with me. So we've yeah. watched at my pace, because I'm not allowed to go ahead. <laughs> so thank you for that. I'm curious in <laughs> listening to Avatar with Academics, because, again, you also listen to this show. I, mm-hmm. I'm curious uh, why you started listening. And let's start with that, why you started listening. And then I have another question for you.
2: Okay. The reason I started listening was because you were being really annoying about (laughs) trying to get me to listen to it. Um,
0: True. (laughs) true.
2: (laughs) And then um, I listened to, in two days, I listened to the first 13 episodes and they were school days. But I don't even know how I did that. Um, and then I just really liked it so I listened to the rest and then when I finished it I was like I guess I have nothing to listen to now I guess I'll just listen to it again so I did oh.
0: so that's great and I, I honestly like I have to say I am so happy um, to have been part of creating something that you enjoy I, and I don't mean that I don't that sounds like I'm making a kind of joke <laughs> I would make because that is the kind of joke I but but I'm honestly <laughs> serious that that like I've Help to create something that you have found interesting. Mm -hmm. Like, you're a 14 year old girl. I'm a 44 year old man who's your dad. You should have no interest in the things (laughs) I have interest in. So either I'm wrong or you're wrong or we're both wrong. (laughs) But I'm curious how listening to this show impacts the way you watch Avatar, the way you reflect on Avatar, the way you think about it. Have you, because you watched the first season or two before you started listening to the Mm -hmm. show did it because you binged those first two seasons did listening to the show change the way you thought about avatar
2: um so when i first like just watched the episodes i definitely kind of only thought about the story and the characters but then when i listened to avatar the academics it was more like the themes and the ideas and like the deeper parts of it and I definitely think that I think about it more, and it also I think there are certain episodes that I appreciate more, or even certain characters that I appreciate more um, with the podcast, because it just makes me actually really think about it.
1: <laughs> I love that. I mean, like it I mean truly, it's like I wish that i would I wish that I would take the time to consume the things I really like in this way right where it's like i'm actually sitting and like thinking about it and uh like wondering and researching and like maybe not writing notes every time but (laughs) but, like taking the time to really sit with the content because so much so when i love something it's like i'll just rewatch it over and over and over again Mm -hmm. uh and kind of do other things while i do it but to actually like take time and think about what's really good about it uh I bet the I bet the creators of the show love that people do that. Mm-mm. Don't you think? Yeah. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Well, we are probably close to our longest episode. Well, we're definitely like we're approaching that two hour mark, which uh, mm-hmm. which makes for a long episode. This was really, really fun. Esme, thank you for um, for sitting in. Thank you for agreeing <laughs> to do this. You I think this is the one, two. Three, this is the fourth channel 3900 podcast that you've been
2: on <laughs> yeah and then i've been on 11 episodes
0: yes yes so um <laughs> yeah. yeah so you, you've been on a lot of these where i i'm looking for a future project to do with you because i actually I, I need to say i need to give you credit for like For a lot of these episodes that we've watched together, Mm -hmm. when we've talked about them before I record with Annie, I am mining, like, your insights to be like, oh, that's a real, I hadn't thought of that way, Mm -hmm. but we should talk about that on the show. So I hope when you listen to Avatar with Academics, you're hearing that. You're hearing, like, oh, this is something that that we've talked about or you brought up. I do. So Uh, I want to give you credit for that.
1: (laughs) This is the idea that I thought of and my dad stole. (laughs)
0: <laughs> that's right that is exactly that is exactly no but it. it's
1: true at the start of episode sam will be like oh yeah esme brought this up or like <laughs> when we were talking about it with our family this is what we said and it's like this is amazing i love it
0: <laughs> so i want to thank you so much for for listening to the show for being a part of this episode uh how excited are you for the the finale
2: um i'm both really excited to know the end but i also don't want it to be over like I have a friend who watched Avatar before me and she said that it took her a month to watch the last episode because she didn't want it to be over and that's kind of how I feel it's like I want to know like like I'm glad though that there's Legends of Korra so I know it's not over but mm, in a sense absolutely. it's kind of over
0: So I will say we we have 4 episodes left at this point um and we're going to try to do an episode a week. I do. I do want to say we banked a lot of episodes in this uh, in the spring. We banked a lot of episodes over the summer. This is we're pretty close to recording in real time now, and um, we're both very busy people. Annie lives on the other side of the world and is now working a lot more. So we're going to try our best to drop an episode every week to do this finale. I apologize ahead of time if there's a weekend where where we don't have one. Um, it is because scheduling is really complicated. Um, so uh, we're going to try to not, we're going to try to do this cleanly. Um, but again, apologies if there's some gaps here. We just don't want to, we don't want to speed through the finale as part of it. So we're going to do it in four episodes. We're going to break it up into four pieces. Do each episode on its own. Um, and if there's gaps in there, that might happen. But if there is gaps in there, there's other great stuff on the Channel 3900 Podcast Network that you could be listening to. Um, Tweet Victory is great. Election Shock Therapy is great. Um, Latchkey Kids is uh, is one of my new faves. I'm I'm a big I'm a big fan of that. So lots of good stuff um, coming out this fall, and I am so excited to get into the finale. So that is all the time that we have, but we will be back. Hopefully, next week with Book Three Fire, Chapter 18: Sosan's Comet,
1: Part One, The Phoenix King.